It's awesome to see you. Hey, um, for those who don't know who I am, I'm uh, Paul, Paul Cargill, my wife here, Kathy, with the high-vis vest on. She is, um, <coughs> she is um, been married to me for 33 years. And I found out this morning that Foster and his wife Belinda and Kathy and I got married the same year, same month, one week apart. 33 years, so you've just had your 33rd wedding anniversary, congratulations to you. Don't start the clock yet, guys, because I'm just rambling. <coughs> Anyway, if you do have a Bible, you might like to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. And whilst you do that, I would like to tell you about President Franklin Roosevelt, who used to endure long receiving lines at the White House, and he complained that no one really paid too much attention to what he was saying. So one day during a reception, he decided he would try an experiment. To each person who passed him and whose hand he shook, he murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And guests responded with phrases like, that's wonderful, Mr. President. Marvelous, keep up the good work. God bless you. We're proud of you, Mr. President. And it was not until it got to the end of the receiving line that the ambassador for Bolivia actually heard what he said. And nonplussed, he leaned over to the president and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> okay, Luke 8, verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see it. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known but brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get him because of the crowd. Someone said, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, the context here is that this is at the very end of Jesus' teaching on a parable, which is found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic Gospels in that they look at the life of Christ from a similar perspective, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John looks at uh, the life of Christ from a slightly different perspective. It's been entitled, colloquially rephrased as the Gospel of the Penetrating Eye, and that it looks into the heart of Jesus as to why he did what he did, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke tends to be more like what he did. Okay, so at the end of um, this parable, which is entitled the Parable of the Sower, but having said that, it probably would be better to be called the parable of the soils, because it's not really about the sower. It's about the soil in which the sower sowed seed. Okay, many of you will know this particular parable, but, but just to recap, it refers to a sower who sows seed, scattering it as they did. In those days, they wore a sack, and they would throw the seed around, and the word that is used in the Greek is actually the word that we get now, the word broadcast, which gives you an idea of how far and wide the seed would go. Okay, and uh, so it would fall on, on different soil, and um, depending on the soil type, would determine the kind of crop that would come out. And Jesus later explains that the seed refers to the word of God and the soil, the state of people's hearts. Now, the crop that is produced is directly related to the state of the heart. The seed is the same, and there's nothing wrong with the sower. It's the state of the heart that determines the crop, if any. Now, the first type of heart that there is, Jesus refers to, is described as a path. And it's, it's like the seed that sits on top and doesn't penetrate and go down. And so the, the hardened surface is there, the birds are there, easily able to come pluck the seed away. And we can have times in our lives when we hear the word of God, but it doesn't really penetrate us in any way, shape, or form. We could be a little bit tired, just, you know, suffering from the effects of the night before, a little bit distracted by one thing or another, not nearly really all that concerned, and dare I say it, 
So the seed of the word just bounces off us. And the enemy is easily able to pluck it away. And we need to be reminded that we do have a very real enemy who does not want the word to impact us at all. He's happy for us to hear it, but don't let it impact. Don't let it be taken in, please. The parable also talks about the heart that is rocky ground, where the word is received with joy, but it doesn't get a root system established. And so in a time of testing, they fall away. There's also thorny ground, state of a heart being described as thorny ground, in which the word is received and sprouts, but it gets choked because the individual is more focused on the worries of life on money and on pleasure. Now, it's interesting that Jesus should use those three things. Two of them are actually positive. Money and pleasure. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the pleasures of life either. God said that we've all things together to enjoy, etc. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's only when they become the focus and the priority that the effectiveness of the word of God gets choked out. Okay, and the fourth type of soil is what is described as good soil. And it's from this point that we started reading this morning. And Jesus said, good soil is those who have a good and noble heart, who hear the word, who retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Oftentimes, we stop reading at that point. Because our Bibles have a paragraph break, and there's a new heading. Mine has a paragraph break, and it's got a new heading, a lamp on a stand. But there's nothing to suggest that the next verse is a new setting, nor new teaching. It is, in fact, a continuation of what he's been saying about expounding on his teaching on the importance of listening. And he uses a second parable about a lamp to stress that. Now, if we walked into a darkened room, we'd turn on the light, we'd light a lamp, we'd flick on a torch if we had one, strike a match even. And there are times when we hear the word and we either ignore it or don't allow it to bring the changes in our lives that we should, in actual fact, to do. We don't allow the light of the word to illuminate areas of our life that the Lord is trying to illuminate or to light the path before us because his word is a light to our feet and a lamp, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We don't allow that to happen. We can even sit through sermon after sermon and nothing happens. It's, it's almost as if we're in a darkened room and, and we have a lamp, but we go and put it in a, in a cupboard and close the door and we remain in the darkened room and it doesn't illuminate us in any way, shape or form. Hebrews 4, 12 tells us this. The word of God, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And goes on to say that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God will change us, will challenge us, will sharpen us as we allow it. It's alive, it's active, it's current. It will challenge our attitudes, our thinking, and what we say, and the way we live. The truth is, there can be a lot in here we don't understand. But the promise of verse 17 is that there's nothing hidden that won't be disclosed. Nothing concealed that won't be brought out into the open. You know, growing up, I used to think that was talking about my sin. So live clean, Paul, because it's all going to get known. But in actual fact, the context of this is an actual fact about the truth of the word. That will be illuminated as I spend time, as I ponder. He will bring it to light. It's not about sin, but it's the truth of the word. As I spend time in it, ah, I see. Proverbs 25 says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to search out a matter is the glory of kings. And I believe that we've been made a kingdom of kings and priests, according to Revelation chapter 1. And therefore, as we search out the scripture, we'll find the truth, the truth that sets us free, the truth that makes us whole. Hence the challenge of verse 18, to be careful how we listen. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, 
will be taken from them. Let's not be like President Franklin Roosevelt's receiving line, who didn't really listen to what was being said, and just nod and smile and convince ourselves, well, we're doing okay. You know, it's possible to sit through a sermon and think afterwards, that was great, and over a cup of tea later on, really struggle to remember what was actually said, to recall. Yeah, we can fool ourselves into a false sense of security and contentment by thinking, I'm doing okay. I'm in church every week. I sit under the word. But it's not actually impacting our lives. Almost like the seed of the word is hitting the exterior of the heart and not penetrating us. And therefore, the truth is easily able to be plucked away in much the same way as a bird would pluck seed from a path. We can accept it with joy and then life happens. The worries of life. Other things crowded out and the initial impact of the word is lost. You know, a man thought his wife was losing her hearing, so he decided to test her. He walked into the living room and she, had her, she was sitting in a chair with, his, with her back to him. So he just said, can you hear me? And she didn't respond. So he took a pace or two closer and said, can you hear me now? And she didn't respond. So he went right up behind her and said, can you hear me now? She turned around and said, for the third time, I said, yes. <laughs> we have to check our own hearing. Be careful how we listen. We have to ensure that our ears are in tuned to the Lord. As I said earlier, there's nothing wrong with the seed. Nothing wrong with the seed. That determines the crop. It's the state of the soil of my heart. So how do I make sure I have a good and noble heart that will produce a crop that the sower is looking for. Well, firstly, number one, I need to receive the word and I need to retain it. Receiving it doesn't just mean hearing it. We have to position ourselves to take it in. Now, we have a dog. She's a golden retriever. Her name is Honey. And I think there's a picture of her there. Yeah. I was preparing a sermon once. She came and sat at my feet. You know, she's really submissive to the Jesus. And uh, I took that photo on my phone. Um, generally, she's a good dog. But the other day, um, she was a bit naughty. I came in and put the mail down thinking that I'll attend to that later. When later came, I came to find the mail and it was gone. She had wandered off with it. She was in the, in the middle of eating it down the end of the garden. So I um, went down to her and uh, she'd taken a chunk out of one letter. And the other letter, she had just about completely consumed except the top left-hand corner of the envelope which had the initials QV on it. And it was all gone. I thought, you hound! You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Anyway, I rang the guy from QV and said, look, my friend, I've got a problem here. My dog ate my letter. Can you please produce it? <laughs> I never used that at school, and I never used it at university. And I thought how easy it was, because a guy bought a lock, stock, and barrel. He, he laughed. He thought it was comical. And I thought, man, you know, I could have an altar call now, as I said, um, uh, for missed opportunities, because that definitely was one of my life. But um, the point being is, anyway, he said he'd send me another letter and everything else. But where am I going with all this? Um, 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 oh, that's right. When you call her name, her ears prick up. Now, her ears are nice and floppy normally, but if you call her name, honey, she goes, and gets into that pose. You're going to give me food? Are you calling me? What, what is it? You're going to play with me? And, and so he ears go up. And we've got to have the ears that prick up when we're in the Word because he's calling our name. He knows your name. He knows your address, and he wants to speak to you through it. It's alive. It's active. It's current. It's as current today as tomorrow's newspaper. And so my point being is that we're in there, we've got to have our ears up, pricked up, listening, real cute-like, you know, and, and listening to the Lord. As a, as a dog would to its master, we are to our master, wanting to hear his voice. 
And when we come to church, it's easy to approach the word, and not just in church, even in our own private time when we're in the word. You're having ears that are pricked up, ready to receive from him. Expectant, living on the edge of our seat, leaning in on what is said, on the edge, as it were, trying to hear, what are you saying, Lord? And in church, I would even suggest it's a good idea to take notes on what is said, believe it or not. Take notes. Even if you never read them again, it helps you retain what is being said. It's easy just to sit back and drift off. You wouldn't fall asleep in these ones, but you could drift off. Your mind goes elsewhere. I've heard someone say, I've heard it all before. There's nothing new that can be preached I haven't heard before. How limiting is that? Jesus said the good and noble heart hears the word and retains it. To retain it as we act, or at least we retain it as we actively listen and we review what we've heard. And that could involve rereading the notes that you took, even if it's just scriptures that were mentioned in, the, in a sermon or in our quiet time, or listening to a podcast of the message. It was a number of years ago, um, Kathy said that she uh, was talking to a girl, a lady from church, and she had, been, um, had listened to one of my messages about eight times that week. Was it really that good? Uh, but it turns out she had got the CD in the days we had CDs. Remember CDs? You know? yeah. Eject. Ever to read, reading. Come on, hurry up and read for crying out loud. Anyway, and it would it would go in and, and do its thing. But she had it playing in her car forever throughout the week. She was driving, just think, just kept going. So she listened to it eight times. I thought it can't have been that great. Went and got it myself and thought, which one was it? Man, that's awesome. I got saved myself listening to the message. But the point being is that she, she was reviewing, reviewing in order to retain, in order to retain. You know, and I'm not just talking about here, like in church, when you're listening to someone. I was going to say, rabbit on. I'm not rabbiting on, I'm preaching. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. That's a great verse to remember when you sit there. God has chosen the foolishness of what I'm doing to impact the life. Okay, um, <clears throat> that's for free. But it's important that we are self-feeders. We don't just rely on Sunday morning. If you just rely on Sunday morning, you'll die of spiritual malnutrition. Just like if you have one meal a week and seven days another meal and seven days another meal, and seven, you'll die. Physically. And the same thing will happen because your stomach shrinks, etc. The same thing will happen spiritually. If you're just relying on Sunday morning, not good. Be in the Word throughout the week. Be in the Word. The Bible actually says, be still and know that I am God. You're in the fast lane of life, you know, and it is a fast lane. Indicate left on the odd every day. Pull into the rest area. Turn off the motor. Be still and know I am God. Then once you've been, thank you, Lord. Turn on the motor, indicate right, pull out into the fast lane of life again. Everyone needs time in the rest area every day. Now, personal lives are reading the Bible. It involves maybe, maybe considering a verse that impacted you in some way, shape, or form that you could actually commit to memory. Memorization of the Word of God is incredibly beneficial. Having done it, the Holy Spirit is able to use it. When you're going through something, bring up a verse in your life and boom, it ministers to you again. Or you're praying for someone or ministering to someone in your life group, etc. And you've got that word. They feel the Lord gives you that word that you've actually memorized. Hey, I'd like to share this with you. It blesses them. There are many, many benefits. from It's part and parcel of Romans 12, which says, be, by being renewing of the mind. As we're meditating on the scripture, we're renewing our minds as we're memorizing it. And as we're meditating on it, and of course, if you're memorizing, you're constantly trying to think of the verse you're doing throughout the day. There's benefits of meditating on the word of God both day and night. The Bible talks about prosperity that comes to you. It helps guide us in our prayer life. It helps us fight temptation. Memorizing scripture has huge benefits. A couple of quick tips if you're going to commit to trying to memorize scripture. I would suggest that, and this is what I do, is you attach the reference to the first two or three words of the verse. Because it's easy to remember Galatians 2.20, and then you think, how's it start again? But if you can remember Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I, as one block. 
That's the starter motor that gets you into the rest of the words. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I. And then finish after having memorized that little bit with Galatians 2.20. So you've got the reference again. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I. Galatians 2.20. And then add four or five words every time. So Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. And do that right through to the end. So it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Life I live in body, I live by faith. So God, I'm going to go. So follow me. Galatians 2.20. <laughs> My point being is that will help you to remember the reference. Okay, it's awesome. And the final thing when it comes to Bible um, memorization is review, review, review. Just like if you're looking at buying property, it's location, location, location. It's review, review, review. So you have it in a business card that you can pull out and look at when you're sitting at a red light, only at a red light, and um, put it back in your, on the purse or on your phone. Or I had a friend who wrote the scriptures up in the shower. When he's showering, he's able to memorize the verses that he's doing. You know, It's, it's great. So anyway, I just encourage you to do that. You know, if you memorize, it's been said, if you memorize one verse a week for 52 weeks of the year, you will know more scripture than, well, at least the top 5% of scripture recall in the whole world, current Christians today. Maybe, you know, 52, memorize them. Do that for three years, top 5% of all Christians ever lived. That's what they reckon, 156 scriptures. Okay, um, where am I? Yeah. There's a challenge of memorizing it, and you can repeat it left, right, and center, and that's fine. But the reality is you've got to get it into your life to bring forth change. Because the Bible tells us knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So you can have a whole, I know, 52 scriptures. Well, wonder, wonder bar. You're an absolute. <laughs> so it's important that it is impacting your life. I read of a family who began a scripture memorization program with their young children. They had two girls aged six and four. Uh, sorry, six and ten. And... Um, they were memorizing them over the dinner table, etc., etc. Mum and dad were in the lounge, and the girls are down in their room and having this awful fight. And one of them says, I hate you. And dad thought, oh, goodness, this is bad. So rather than get up into the fray, and he, he called out, now, Kara, what is the verse that we're memorizing this week, hoping by implication and application, you know, diffuse a bomb happening down the hallway? And she quickly answered, dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other too. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, in an incredibly pious voice, and then carried on fighting with the sister. <laughs> and dad did the same with the other sister and got the same result. So mum and dad got up, went and diffused the bomb, as it were, but they laughed as they went down. It's a classic example of how often we don't apply Scripture to our lives. Yeah, we can memorize it, repeat it flawlessly, but we have to make sure it changes our lives. It's important that we take the Bible and get it off the shelf and get it into self. Carl, our lead pastor, we saw a moment or two on the screen. He um, has been referring to the fact that as a church we're in a new era and the importance of declaration and um, yeah, uh, declare, declaring the word uh, because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And uh, Pastor Casey Treat of uh, Christian Faith Center in Seattle has a declaration he uses concerning the, the word of God, um, which is pretty cool. He gets his church to do it. They hold up the word and they say, this is my Bible. It is the word of God. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I believe that I, um, and I have what I ha- says I have. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind, etc., etc., etc. Just a great declaration to again reaffirm the fact that it is alive and active and powerful and able to bring transformation in my life. And declaring it aloud because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Okay, in order to have a noble and good heart, we need to receive the word and retain it. Allow it to impact our lives. Second thing we need to do is share it and shine. Share it and shine if we're to have a good and noble heart. Verse 16 says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jay of clay, or puts it, jay of clay, a clay of jay, puts it there, but they put it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Now, Jesus likens us hearing God's word and receiving light like a lamp. We are to shine. 
The lamp is designed to shine forth light. We are to do just that. Arise, shine, Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 3 says. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. The light of the word is to shine from us. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As the word impacts our lives and we share it with others, and as they see our deeds and actions that shouldn't contradict each other, they will see a glimpse of Jesus. Because you know what? You and I are the only Bible many people are reading. And apparently Marie Antoinette, the last queen of France before the French Revolution, used to attempt to disguise herself, herself at least before attending balls and, and um, parties and dances. But her walk gave her away. When she walked, it's been said she walked like a man. She was swift and purposeful. It was her trademark. And it was, she could never successfully disguise this, her identity at masked balls because no matter how she dressed, she still walked like an empress. Our walk and our words should match up. Isn't that the way that we should be, like an empress in a sense, walking, that people could see that person's a Christian? I can tell there's something different about them. What is it about you? What is it about you? Our words and our lifestyle should line up. So to have a good and noble heart, we're to receive the word, we're to retain it, we're to share it, we're to shine, allow it to shine out from our lives and what we do and what we say. And thirdly, we are to obey and observe. Obey and observe. Verse 21, Jesus said, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. He's saying they are the true family of God. James 1, 22, not merely listen to the word, but do what it's... Don't mean sorry. Uh, do, not, sorry, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. Hearing's not enough. If we, just don't, if we just hear it but don't put it into practice in our lives, we're deceiving ourselves. We think we're doing okay, but we're not really. And that's the assurance of verse, or the essence at least, of verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. And as we spend time in the word, more insight and understanding will come. But if we neglect it, that which we've heard before or even what we've read before can slip from us and no longer produce fruit in our lives. You see, it's the application, the outworking of the word in our lives that makes the difference. And as we persist in this, we will see fruit. We'll see a crop for the kingdom of God. In verse 15, Jesus is actually saying that it's perseverance. We've got to keep at it and not give up, and we will see that come to pass. You know, be aware, we have a devil who will fight us at every turn. He will fight us at every turn. The last thing he wants is for you and I to be serious about this, to retain this, to see it worked out in our lives, to be an influence and an impact on other people's lives. Be prepared for obstacles at every turn. Be prepared to have to persevere, to endure hardship and struggles around it. We have a very real enemy who, who's intent on nullifying our witness and our effectiveness. He wants us to call our jets and let's not take this too seriously, Paul. Come on. But Romans 15 verse 4 says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught by the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, you can have hope. And persevering and enduring, we hold on to the word and hope it brings, despite the obstacles and challenges in life. Without hope, it is difficult to cope. And our source of hope is here. And as we read and are encouraged by what God has done in other people's lives, because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God, and we think, oh, if God got them through, he'll get me through as well. The Old Testament is equally as valuable as the New. 
When Paul said all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, he was referring to the Old Testament because there was no New Testament. He was writing it as he said that. And when he said the things that were written in the past were written to teach us so with endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope, he was referring to the Old Testament. There was New Testament. He was writing it as he said that. How much more then when we've got the Old and the New should we have hope? Should we have a sense of, you know? But it's amazing how many of us lay aside the word don't come to church anymore in the midst of difficulty and trouble and trial. We sort of go back home, we, we, we hunker down behind our six-foot-high paling fence, and we, we start to contemplate our problem. And so we draw our problem closer and closer and closer to ourselves, a bit like a 20-cent coin. We hold it right up, oh, my problem's so big. But if we were to come into church and be in the Word and hold it in the right perspective across a landscape, you'd see all the trees, the hills, the beautiful sunshine, the, the water cascading over rocks and the power and glory of everything. And we hold our problem in perspective. And we can see that God is working his purpose out. And this is not this jolly big after all. I've got a great big God who's able and has done and will continue to do in my life. Up close, it blocks everything out. It becomes all-consuming. Whereas if we're in church, we see the word and we get perspective on things. We understand that God is working out his purpose and plan. Let's be people who will push through, who will endure it who work to ensure the word produces a crop in our lives. And of course, there are times and seasons in our lives when you know, we've got babies and you cut your children and you pit a pat on little feet when you want to go to the bathroom, let alone spend time to, you know what it's like. You can't get a, a moment on your own and you think, well, close my eyes and pray right now. And as you do, you wake yourself up a moment later with snoring. You know, it's the seasons. And don't despair. It's just a season. God understands that. He knows that that's what you're going through. Remember, it's about the heart and he understands the heart. Don't feel condemned. Condemnations of the enemy. But as we approach this holiday season, it can get hectic leading up to Christmas. Try and eke out some time to spend with him. And, uh, you know, when we're on holiday, for those who manage to get to go away, you know, um, you know, as much as the novel is really relaxing, and which is great, and it is, and as much as the boat and the water are calling, and they are, you know, do spend some time in the Word as well. So that you don't just, you know, that you don't come back, oh, I'm physically refreshed, but spiritually, oh, I'm still, I've got a Drop the level. Come back on a higher level. Go on to a whole other level in God. In my Bible, I have a little picture of a boy here. He's an African boy. His name is Metus Tangoni. And um, <clears throat> he was severely beaten and had his hands held over fire by the people in the village that he lived in. And um, not very good at all for lying and stealing. His fingers were burnt off. They're just charred stumps. And afterwards, he was taken to the home of a local missionary to look after because his parents couldn't look after him anymore. And to fill the long and lonely days of healing, he was given a talking Bible and listened to it every day. And in doing that, he came to believe in Jesus Christ and is now his Lord and Savior. So we're talking about healing before. One day, he's going to raise those stumps. Maybe this side of the grave, I don't know. But in glory, he's going to raise glorified hands to worship his king. That's awesome. He came to believe in the Lord. But as a result, he can't use a conventional Bible. He uses a solar-paneled one, solar-powered one, solar-paneled, solar-powered one. And um, he listens to it every morning, and he says this. He cannot wait, lying in bed, for the sun to come up, so that when it does come up, the solar panel that powers his Bible will power it and be able to talk to him and they're able to hear the word of God. Are we like that? Do we have a hunger to get the book off the shelf and into self when we wake in the morning? or whenever it is we spend time with him. But remember, it's not devotions, it's devotion. The author of Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain, said this. He had someone come to him once and say, I wish I had never read Huckleberry Finn. Mark Twain said, 
why on earth would you say that? He said, so I could have the pleasure of reading it again for the first time. You know, as we are in the Word, receiving it in this sort of setting or, or reading it for ourselves, you know, do, do we have that sense that, with a sense of faith, I'm reading it for the first time? Because the Holy Spirit's able to illuminate different bits, different parts, wherever we're at, and man, it hits me here, and oh man, you know, as we receive the Word and retain it and share it and allow it to shine from our lives and obey what it says, we will grow. But if we're not seeing the growth in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with the state of my heart? Is there something wrong there, Lord? Am I not receiving it? Am I not retaining it? Am I not persevering? Am I not letting it shine out of my life? And am I not sharing it? Am I not putting it into practice? What is wrong? We need to ask ourselves that. See, the Bible tells us that in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. As I said earlier, there's nothing wrong with the seed. It is the soil, it's us in the state of our hearts. So let's work to ensure we have a good and noble heart that receives the word and retains it, that perseveres through trial to produce a crop, seeing growth the sower desires to see in our lives, to shine more brightly through our lives to a world that so desperately needs Jesus in his name. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father in heaven, We stand before you and want to thank you for your word. The power of it to transform lives, to yield. Lord, we yield our hearts to you. Help us to have good and noble hearts that receive your word, that retain your word, that will persevere and see a crop crop produced for you. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word to transform lives. Thank you, Lord, for the insight, revelation that comes as we yield to you afresh. Help us to sit on the edge of our seat, to approach it in faith, knowing that, Lord, as you impact our lives through your word, we will be enabled to have an impact on other people's lives too, in Jesus' glorious name. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you illuminate your word to us. Draw us to it, Lord. Give us a hunger for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for it, Lord. We thank you that you have lifted it higher, along with your name, than anything else, your word and your name. And so, Father, we yield again to you, and we say, have your way in our lives, Lord. Use your word to fashion us according to your purpose and plan in Jesus' glorious name.